Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Saturday was billed as Super Saturday in the Six Nations and it well and truly lived up to the hype. Wales' unlikely march to a Grand Slam looked all but confirmed after a sensational performance, at least for 68 minutes, away to France, but two late tries from the French, including one from fullback Bryce Dulan. With the final play of the game, Wayne Pivac's side left Paris empty-handed. We'll be reflecting on that game and Wales' incredible turnaround this year with the former Ospreys head coach, Sean Hulley. Elsewhere on Saturday, England. It says inspiring, uninspiring here. I don't think that's quite the word I would use. It'd be a lot shorter. Um, uh, Six Nations campaign ended in a humbling defeat in Ireland against an Ireland side who produced possibly their finest display so far under head coach Andy Farrell. Ireland skipper Johnny Sexton said afterwards the win was proof his side are making progress under the new coaching setup. Whilst for England, the result leaves many questions uh, for the head coach Eddie Jones, who admitted afterwards that the squad is in the process of being altered. Not that we've seen any sign of that, but uh, we'll, we'll assess the uh, disappointing campaign throughout the show. Anyway, away from the Six Nations, there has been a major development in the women's game after World Rugby announced a new major tournament, which they are saying will supercharge the women's side of the sport. The tournament will see 16 teams competing annually in a three-tiered competition. The announcement has been met with widespread approval and we'll be getting the thoughts of former England captain Katie Daly-McLean about it and also about the up-and-coming Six Nations, which is set to get underway next month. And as ever, we'll be answering your questions, including, obviously, the latest on the Lions Tour and the future of the Six Nations following investment from CVC Capital. Alongside me today, once again, uh, to discuss all this is the former England Sevens captain, Rob Vickerman. Hi, Rob. Hi, Brian. You good? Look, let's start in Paris. I, I, I had the... No, it was. It was a, it was, it was a, it was a moment in time, the pleasure of being... Uh, there in the hundred-minute game against France and Wales, and I thought we'll never see a game of equal drama. But in different ways, this certainly was. I mean, uh, just give us all your overall impression first. Well, first of all, I have to say how much I enjoyed your comment about the French director 
Having done a few French OBs before, um, the kind of random angles of seeing scrums from angles you'd never really seen and the, and the acute positions of the corner <laughs> flag and like that, just remarkable. But I, I must admit, I, I was sat watching it with my wife who had to persuade to dodge the voice. And it was just a remarkable game. Uh, ebbed and flowed. The drama was there. There's a controversy aplenty. Um, and I just think it, it personally really did sum up just how special the Six Nations are. Yes. It was remarkable. I mean, that was what, you know, that, that it, it was your comment there and so many comments like that after the game that sort of dictated the article I wrote for Telegraph on, on you know, on the uh, aligning the importance of the Six Nations into the psyche of rugby people, certainly in, in this hemisphere. I mean, the, the, the Welsh, I, I said it was cruel, it, the sport is cruel, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't unlucky. You know, 12 minutes to go, 10 points up, with a man up, they should see that game out. You've got to give a lot of credit to the French for the way they managed to drag themselves back. But I, can you account for, for the defence for, for France? For most of the game, it was fairly passive, wasn't it? I'd expected it to be far, you know, far more intense than a rush defence. And it, was, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't solid, but it wasn't the, 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 the defensive plan I thought was going to be carried out. It's an interesting rhetoric, isn't it? Because you've got clearly Sean Edwards' foundations of previous with the Welsh and now him being so influential with the French. And and you, you say about the, the French ability to impact the Welsh attack. It did. Like they had far more slower ball than they've had all tournaments. So from that point of view, mm. it did work. But I agree. I think they were much more cautious as they had been previously. Um, and as a result of that, gave Wales a little bit more time with possession, but they yeah. just didn't quite capitalise it. When they stopped playing, was their downfall? That last 10 minutes, yes. Yes. it almost felt as though they needed to keep that tempo higher. And so often teams try and not lose a game rather than continue to well, win. That's a problem. And the problem is, if you start running down the clock, I mean, time wasting is... And the, the great thing uh, you know, about uh, Luke Pierce was, on the field, he was hurrying play up. You know, when it came to the off-the-field dissection of important decisions. He was calming people down. I thought, we'll come on to the refereeing in a minute. But um, if you d- indulge in, in, in sort of managing the clock, if you go behind, you've, you've, you've contributed to running t- your response time down. So I never think, apart, you know, if it's the last two minutes and you want to zigzag and try and get the ball off, maybe. But 12 minutes out is too long to take that attitude. It is. And it, of course, along with the fact that the, Wel- the Welsh just needed to win the game, didn't matter how. And the French putting that pressure on themselves, saying, look, we're not just going to win it. We need the bonus point. Yeah, That was always going to mean that they wanted that higher tempo. So I get why Wells did that and tried to slow it down throughout the game. But ultimately, it came down to those last few really crucial moments where, yeah. you know, you're thinking for all money, just play a little bit wider. You've done it all tournament. Play that little bit further out with your big men carrying wide. And they didn't. They went to a pick and go, very passive tactic. And, and actually, they probably three or four phases before they got penalised were sealing off. So absolutely yeah. justified in that decision. I mean, look, there were loads of decisions. I, I can't remember a game, uh, not not readily, where so many big decisions, you know, were discussed. Um, all of which could have had and did have an influence, but uh, the majority of which, as a neutral, I would say, they got right. And, and if they, if they, if you can't be hundred percent about that, you know, you're taking the umpire's call bit, like cricket. Um, I can't, I couldn't see one where you could say unquestionably. Um, there was no grounds for doing that. 
Um, That's an interesting point, actually, because I've been watching quite a lot of the Southern Hemisphere rugby, and one of the things I do hope happens in the game, and this is actually weirdly in the World Tens we did in Bermuda, was a captain's challenge, because there was one point where Fico went to the referee, who couldn't speak very good English, who was trying to say, I scored the ball, I scored a try, I scored the try in the corner, and then the footage then showed it. And for me, I felt sorry for the French, because with a different production element and a different language barrier. Well, he, did, I mean, well he, he was speaking them. French though, wasn't he, Pierce? I mean, he... A little bit, yeah. But in terms of the actual conversation Fico had with him, the ball was then shown to be over the line yeah. in the final stages of the game. So I think there's elements like that where a captain's challenge, as they do in New Zealand, yeah. it would make sense to have that for a scoring moment, definitely. Yeah. Tell you what, why don't, why don't we get Sean Hawley in here? Because he's there... Um, the former Ospreys head coach. Let's get a Welsh angle from this. We want just two Englishmen talking about it. How do you feel, Sean? Oh, mixed emotions, bro. I, uh, I really enjoyed your comedy, by the way. Well done on the weekend. Um, we got mixed emotions. Now, uh, so the cold like the day on a Monday. Uh, one, the overriding thing I think from speaking to a lot of my friends is, is is one of pride in the team. We were backs against the wall in the autumn. New coaching team. Wondering a little bit about where we were going to go, but they've just grown through the tournament. And to to get it to the 80th minute, and the Grand Slam decided in Paris against probably the best side in the championship is uh, there's a sense of pride, but overwhelming sadness that uh, for the likes of Alan Wynne Jones that uh, they didn't do it. But you know what a game, what an advert for for the Six Nations. Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, they're, they're, I'm pretty sure they'll get the title. I can't see France. I can't see France getting a bonus point win and winning by twenty or more than twenty points against Scotland. I, I, I doubt yeah, I it. I doubt well, it's it. a tough ask, but the thing is, and Rob, Rob might might agree with me. I don't know, but now they know what they got to do in France. They could just do it, but I think Scotland got something to play for as well. You know, they they can score tries. They they'll go out and give it a go. Could be a hell of a game there again on Friday. Yeah. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. Um. Look, the 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 way that the campaign's gone, I'm glad that it removed. Any of well, they were stupid before, but the, any of these accusations of luck and so on and so on, it's just a, it's a it's a shame you know another person got sent off against Wales, uh, and I like all this and I you know the 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 way that uh, I thought the way that the referee and the TMO handled it and also the players, you know because these were huge moments throughout the game weren't they? Every single one you could think, you could see even at the time think this could be the decision, and there were. Eight, nine, ten, you know, and, and they kept going on, and I thought the, the it was a, it was an advert for everything about rugby that's good, and certainly about the Six Nations. Unbelievable! I've never seen so many held up over the line uh, incidents. Unbelievable! And it's sort of added to the drama of it, isn't it? I, I, I thought Luke Pierce controlled the game really well. His demeanour, uh, the manner in which he did it. I thought the players were, on both sides were very accepting, you know, and. I know, had it been anybody other than Wayne Barnes, possibly Nigel Owens, but he wouldn't have done a Welsh game, then that composure in that box was was needed, you know, because they, they realised the magnitude of the game and, and each decision. They went to know what was to come. But, yeah, I, I thought it added to it. You know, made for a long broadcast, you know, I hope they paid you a bit more, bro. But, <laughs> no. but, you know, it was drama. And that's what we want. And we do get it in the Six Nations. And there's been a lot of talk about wrong decisions and this, that, and the other. And I just picked up the end of your conversation. I agree with Rob. I'd like to see a captain's challenge in. I think it would add even more jeopardy and yeah. interest. I'd like to see a 50-22 come in, you know, uh, that they're trialling down there now in Australia. And, 
you know, uh, the goal line restart. I think all those things will add to it again. The, the rugby of late, the Six Nations brought it to life. I do a lot on the, the Pro 14. The rugby in the last couple of weeks where there's been a bit of jeopardy has been fantastic. Yeah. It really has. Tries galore and, and real good stuff. So along with that, continue. I'll tell you, what, what difference does this make? We are now, you know, we've now, uh, my seasonal adjusted disorder is probably going away now uh, because it started getting light. Uh, and, and look, I, I feel a lot better. You know, you get up in the morning, you go, it's not dark. What difference does it make playing at this time rather than, you know, in the depths of, of January and so on when, let's face it, even if the pictures are all good now, it can be freezing, it can be rainy, it can be windy. You know, and I, yeah. I as, as we all know, it is, it is difficult to play good rugby. Not yeah. impossible, but it's a lot... The, the, the point to make is this, actually. It is a lot easier to play good rugby with good weather. Well, you know, I, I give you an example now. I, I'm off to commentate on the Scarlet's Connor tonight, and it's beautiful here today, right? It's beautiful. Down a park of Scarlet's, I'm hoping for a great game. There's something on it for the Scarlet's. And another example, Bray, is the Dragons who play Rodney Parade. You've played there, I've played there. It, you know, it's not the most welcoming place to go. The pitch has been cut up because they play soccer, Newport, Newport County play soccer on it. So the Dragons have moved their last two games to the Principality Stadium. And the games have been brilliant. And the Dragons have been much better. So that tells you a lot. And and now we've got the Rainbow Cup uh, approaching us. Now that's going to go April, May into June. South African teams playing in warmer weather. I, and I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, I think you're right. I think there's a move there. Uh, look, let's just return to this. Um, I'll, I'll get this out of the way because it's in the script. Fabian Galtier saying deliberately trying to get players sent off. Uh, well, frankly, they've been very good at it. Um, and if and if, if they, you want to find out how they do it, because it certainly helps, doesn't it? Hey, what a stupid, nonsensical comment. I, I can't yeah. believe if, if it. Was, I hope there's something lost in, in translation, because Fabian's a good lad. That's a daft comment. I think there's an element of um, hopefully getting a like the sentence for his player. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, I, I can't see the Welsh guys, you know, lifting up a finger and poking it in our own eyes. Uh, that's one thing. Um, I don't think they're looking for it. And if you look at the, the Peter Romani one, it's a clear one into the face. You, you're going to react naturally, you know. They're, they're tough guys, you know that. But you don't want anybody around the face, neck, head with force, eyes in particular, you know, private areas. Stay away from those. They, they're professional guys. They're tough guys. You know this. There's no way they're feigning and looking for it. In fact, I thought one French player did act a little bit football style, dare I say, yes. for one infringement. Yes, he did. Yes, so Fiku. Let's, Fiku let's it not was. throw stones. Yeah. Let's not throw stones here, you know? Well, one thing I'd like to just touch on from your coaching perspective is when, you know, teams transition and get a new coach in, there was a lot of heat on PVAC. Alternations wasn't the most spectacular for Wales, but how much more credibility does it now have in the bank? Huge. Huge, Rob. It's a real good question. Uh, I think another one, a guy I work with a lot, is Jonathan Humphreys, the forwards coach. Uh, there was all sorts of problems in the line-out and the scrum. You know, they, they've been one of the best set-piece sides towards the end of the Six Nations, so huge credit to him. And I think the attacking shape and intent that we've shown now under Stephen Jones and Wayne Pivak sort of philosophy when they won the title with the Scarlets has, has started to, sh- to shine through. You know, when we conceded against France early on, the boys dusted themselves down, didn't phase them. They came at them, they stuck to their shape. They looked really dangerous. And if you thought to yourself, Crikey, you know, we could do this because the favourites were France. But I, I think it's added a lot of credibility. There's still a slight question mark, Rob, for me over this, the, the replacement strategy. Uh, at the red card on 67 minutes, Wayne took off bigger Jonathan Davis, Thomas Francis and Ken Owen at once. 
And from there, it went downhill, you know, with an extra man. We had two yellow cards. We gave silly penalties away for, in front of the kickers. We weren't, we didn't have enough leaders on there. And I think they look back, reflect on that and go, you know, that's that's something we have to address because it's worked in the Six Nations. I've been Scotland bringing Sheedy and Hardy on. But in this one, it backfired. See, the problem you have there is, yes, you get the energy, but but you they can't get the exact nature of the game. You can see what referees giving or not giving, but when you're on the field, you feel it, don't you? And you and, and and far too often. I mean, this was the same with England. You know, substitutes come on, desperate to be involved and make a contribution. Just do that thing. Just put that hand in there. Just you know, carry away from support or. Or whatever. So yeah, four four is the the, the point. The difficult thing is, you know, when it's worked before. If he hadn't done that, people say, "Well, you, you did that before. Why do you do it now?" But, but the the point about the the get managing the game is twelve minutes, ten points, man up. Well, don't tell me like you, Bray, with twelve minutes to go, just had a red card. You're ten points up on a grand slam decider. You're care no wins. You're I'm not tired. More. I'm not There's tired. No way. You're not <laughs> no. going to last. You're not going to last that last 12 minutes. The same as Dan Bigger. These are fit, fit boys. I mean, you know, I, I think that was, um, I don't know whether it was a premeditated call, but it certainly backfired because it went downhill from there. I'm not saying it's the reason, but a contributing factor. Well, the one talismanic leader amongst the, the ranks of the whole Six Nations is Alan Jones. I mean, just incredible. He's actually my age, which is pretty sad to say. because he's been... <laughs> um, Is he a shoe for you, Sean, you think, for the Lions? He's your age. Imagine how that makes me feel. I coast him for the. <laughs> so, um, do you know what? At the start, I was willing him on to be selected on the tour with a with a chance, Rob. You know, of of playing in the test. But as the season's gone on in the Six Nations, you have to look at the, the whole picture and say, why why not? Who else? I think is the question. Who else in this form of fitness and mentality and leadership? It has to be Alan Wynn. You know, in the big moments, in in the the way he's conducted himself with referees, the way he's performed. You know, he's been he was a top tackler again. I think he's a second top tackler in the whole yeah. Six Nations. It's not bad for for a guy his age. You know, your side, you're doing a podcast. He's out on the field trying <laughs> to win grand slams and he's in the second row. So I, I mean, yeah, yes. All jokes aside, and for that that for that reason, I want the Lions tour to go ahead. No other reason. Uh, I don't because he won't make next year if he's pushed back, will he? Um, but and the fact that people outside of Wales are talking about it now, well, that says it all. Yeah. Sean, thank you very much again. Uh, I'm looking forward to Friday. I'm pretty sure you'll be celebrating, not quite in the way you wanted, but certainly if you'd have taken that, as they say, if you'd have been offered that before the game, you'd have taken it, wouldn't you? There we go. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks very much, Sean. Good boys. All the best. Rob, Ireland 32, England 18. They always talk about learning lessons from games, don't they? Now, I'm not quite sure what you learn from this other than... Apart from one race performance against France, this squad of players, which includes perennial favourites all around, are simply not being good enough. There are reasons partly to do with form. There are reasons, I think, also structurally. The comment was made to me the other day, it appears to be, able to, it appears to be easier to get, uh, to get in this squad than out of it. Um, now, Jones said... That he said after the World Cup that the uh, things were going to change. He said it's in pr- process of amendment. I haven't seen any amendments. Unlike Wales, who've 
can at least look at their replacements, Ireland to a certain extent, Scotland to a certain extent, certainly France. We don't know about Simmons or Dombrandt or another Simmons or Smith or Omaga or, or a host of people. And that, to me, is the main thing. If we were going to go down in the Six Nations and not perform very well, uh, you know, I might have been a little in a better mood, slightly, um, had we at least blooded these players and found something about them. As it is, I don't think you can take anything really out of this. I, I really, and I, and I, I like Eddie Jones. I, I don't think he should go. We can't afford to, him to go on all his team. Um, I, I believe it's right to give people the, the whole of their tenure, wherever you contract them to, and then judge them. Because a similar thing happened in 2018. We, we know what happened, you know, uh, several years later, a couple of years later. Um, but I, 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 I just do not see a positive for this campaign. I just don't see one. I think one thing we have to be really cautious of from the outset is to look at the fact that it was so unique in terms of the protocols in place. So, OK, we can obviously talk about the impact that an empty Twickenham will have, but also the fact that it was a curtailed squad, that they weren't able to have as much flex as perhaps they would usually. So 28 named players in which they weren't then able to bring in many more. So I think that does explain a little bit about bringing certain players in, but I absolutely agree. The last time we saw Thaler at this level, it ousted Rob Shaw, Kerr, Haskell and Brown. They got cut. Yeah. So I'd be very interested to see what's going to happen now as a result of this, because ultimately what it comes down to is these players have lost that confidence and they've lost that ability to show what they are capable of. And it's also backed up by the stats. I mean, I add to the, in your caveat, I would add this, the peculiar problem with the Saracens players, which I, I have highlighted, you know, they, they, they didn't get any game time because the championship wasn't on. That meant even if they'd been not picked to get game time with the clubs, they couldn't have played before Wales because they didn't have any fixtures. If they'd have had, if they'd gone coming after Wales, they'd have had one fixture against the Cornish Pirates, you know, and he would have said, well, but on the other hand, people say, if you leave out five players and 360 caps, what on earth are you doing in spine of your team? So, yes, I understand that. But it, what, what I don't understand is the the minute nature of tinkering and so on. I mean, I know he wanted to, to play Millerton, and, and I actually was looking forward to seeing Daly at 13. Um, mm. But I, but it all comes back to this, you know, the flexibility. If you're going to say, right, we need tried and tested, we don't need tried and tested, we need amendments, you've got to signal that because at the moment you've got players who are not playing well and, and to me, uh, they, they, unless they get a short, sharp shock um, somewhere, um, I'm not sure how it's going to be shaken up. Yeah, I'd be slightly more cautious if I was the support staff, to be honest, of the players, yeah, because yeah. like you said, there's a degree of protection for them. But if you're wanting to make a statement, so often you see it, the head of the team, the director of rugby, whatever, they throw the lieutenants under the bus pretty quick. <laughs> so I think I'd be pretty shaky times if I were anyone in the periphery of this this uh, spearhead, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, look, uh, if if we are talking just about players, well, let's let's talk about the coaching setup. Um, you know, John Mitchell defence has done, you know, a job for a long, uh, reasonable amount of time, considering a national coach. Um, what <laughs> defensively, I've been, I've been disappointed the way they've been unpicked from set pieces actually in this, uh, in this tournament several times. Yeah, and the fact that so many breakdowns have been penalised as well. That's something that we can't avoid talking about. That's the yeah. discipline issue, isn't it? But yeah. that's part of your defensive mindset. That's nothing yeah. to do with your attack. Yeah. So I think there's a massive question to be asked there, certainly. Um, uh, Attack-wise, um, well, yeah, I'm never quite sure who's in charge of attack. 
uh, at the moment. <laughs> well, it is Simon Amor on paper. Yes. And that's the thing. And I, I know Simon. Of course you know Simon. Really and have, you know, he's coached me for, for years. But I think the one thing that I'm seeing is he hasn't got that freedom. If you look at any one of the seven teams that he's produced, the one thing they have is an incredible skill set yeah. and they are willing to play. Now, looking at it statistically, the one game we can highlight has been a reasonable success for the English was against the French, whereby they had far more possession. They had eight offloads, which actually was a, a crew total of their other three games, believe it or not, and seven line breaks. This weekend, three line breaks, four offloads. I mean, how can you get players the skill set of the likes of Billy Vanapolo, who is the only one to feature in the top 10 for offloads with four? The win collisions, of course they're going to. They do it every single time they carry the ball. But the mindset is different to yeah. not think about continuing play. And that's why I fear for playing the likes of a South Africa or a New Zealand, because... If you watch any one of their teams play, offloads almost a prerequisite. If you yeah. can get your arms free, it's getting thrown out. I mean, four offloads for the whole game's dire. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, we, we, we've shown. I mean, the, the the first French try last week showed this. You know, didn't play particularly well. Four offloads, bang in the corner, and the, and we've got to explain to people who maybe not quite understand this. Not trying to be patronising, but defences are so good now. You can shore up big carriers, big carriers, big carriers. What you can't do is if a man passes out of the tackle, I mean, if that, the term is offload used and what have you, he's immediately beyond the gain line and you are scrambling to try and get him down. If you get him down again and he does another one, your defensive line has possibly gone 10 metres, 20 metres back. And even if you're sprinting back, you've got to go round the corner to get back onside. And it's, uh, these, these are almost impossible to stop um, you know, when they get going. So that's why they are so valuable. The offloading stats are so important because they mean you get clean breaks and clean breaks should mean, if they're finished off properly, should mean points. So, you know, that's yeah. the point. Um, uh, is, there any more, is there any more to say about England until, until something happens? I'm not sure there is. Just not well, really I enough. Really... Back up your argument a bit more. <laughs> they're, they're, they're fifth for offloads in the championship. They're also fifth for the amount of carries. They're fourth for broken tackles and they're fourth for the most knock-ons. Yeah, skill set's not good enough. I mean, one one's reflective of the other. You don't get on the front foot, you make more mistakes, etc. Except penalties. Um, and now, see, the penalties is a big issue because that's not just about being under pressure. It's also about how and when and where you give them, whether you give four in succession, as they've done in several games. How are you... Ex- uh, how... You do you know if you if you give four penalties in in succession, you are gonna end up conceding points, or if not, losing opportunities to score points and being back in your own half. And that's what we've seen with England. You know, not enough um, red zone entries, too few occasions have they stayed there for more than you know a couple of phases or, or your set pieces, and and the concession of penalties in succession has you know has, has been absolutely killing them. 67 penalties across the whole championship, equal with Italy. And the magnitude of this is every single time you give away a penalty, bear in mind how hard you work to get the ball, you've given it away. Yes. 67 times. That is well, Rob, mind-blowing. Rob, you add, you add to that the number of kicks. Because people don't understand this. If you kick the ball, you might, you might, you're right, you might end up further down the field defending, but you haven't got the ball anymore unless you catch it again. It's, I mean, I know that sounds stupidly simple, but that is a turnover. It's a turnover yeah. as much as anything else. 
Yeah, I think Eddie sees it as a way of gaining territory then competing for possession. Actually, I've got to defend them here, that they are the same as they were in the French game, but they actually kicked away less than 10% of their possessions. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that because no. what's happening is there's not enough time to gain that momentum. Whereas you watch Ireland play, it was two carries, front football, then they played and accrued yeah. up to 20 phases. Yeah. You just don't see that from England at the moment. So you've got to wonder why. Yeah. Ah, well. <laughs> I'm rather you up here. Sorry, Brian. No, 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 you're not one way. I'm just to tell you, I'm just, you know, as an England fan, um, you know, and I listen. I, I am a fan as much as ever anyone else. When I when I work, I, I um, I've taught myself to be to be as unbiased as I can be. But I, 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 it's just the, I can't see a pathway at the moment. I want to see a pathway. I want to I want to see where we're going. You know, I might not, even if I didn't agree with with the pathway. If I can see one, it's better than not knowing one. You know, the Lions. Oh, let's hope will 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 tour um, this summer, or, or or certainly play at home. Where does Jones? What sort of time of the calendar year is he going to have to make his statements about new players and and refreshment and amendments and so on? Is it this summer? Is it is it next Six Nations or? Yeah, essentially, you've got to look at when the EPS is announced. So the elite player squad that has to have a certain amount of forewarning for the clubs to realise who they're going to be losing, what the compensation will be. And that's almost, and that's the reason why many people state it, that it's harder to get out the team than it is to get in the team because of that protective nature of these financial agreements in place. So once you've got that announcement, which I think usually around September, it's not actually a massive window if you think about it, really, because these players are going to come on the back of a Lions tour and then straight into a Premiership campaign. So it used to traditionally be if you had an absolutely worldly start to a Premiership campaign, after four or five games, your name could be in consideration for a squad. But it certainly seems at the moment that that's just gone. There is no degree of form because they look for such stability. Well, let's let's briefly um, touch on Scotland. Latest side to thrash Italy. Uh, campaign ended on a high. Um might end on an even bigger high in Paris. Um, look, expectations from England very high, then went down a bit. Typical Scotland, really. I'm not. I'm not being dismissive. You know, they they are up and down, still searching for that um, absolute grail, which is consistency. Their prospects in in Paris. Well, it made it a lot easier by the fact that PRL have now announced that they can release yes. their senior. Uh, players from yep. the from the Premiership, so I think that's going to make a massive difference. I think they've just got they've got this edge about them, Scotland, that when they actually really get themselves up for it and want and want to almost prove everyone wrong, they can be quite a force. It's more so the games we expect them to have a little bit more um, of a of a level playing field. They really yes. seem to struggle, typically yes. against Ireland. Yes, um, so I, I see that a lot. I think they're growing. I think they've got a lot of senior leaders with opinion, and they're integrating brilliantly well with their coach Gregor Townsend. So that really bodes well. And actually, they've got a dearth of these young younger players coming through that I'm really excited about. So I think, you know, in terms of their overall campaign, they'll be happy. I certainly think they're one of, you know, with from football, their backs are, you know, particularly, uh, particularly dangerous. They are dangerous. And you've got to go boil down the fact that you compare them to in England, they haven't got anywhere near that depth. So, that, you know, when you look at it from that point of view, you've got these young, impressionable backs who, who need game time, who need to play at this level and their ability to stay together as a unit is what's going to set them apart from the longer term. The women's game had a significant uh, announcement, important and I think good announcement from World Rugby. They announced a new annual tournament. It's taking place from 2023 onwards. It consists of 16 international teams across three tiers and it's been labelled as something that will supercharge the women's game. 
Uh, yes, uh, marketing phrase there. Uh, and it has been allocated six and a half million pounds by World Rugby uh, in the face of a pandemic. Uh, not a bad commitment somewhere to start. Let's hope uh, it proves to be the Philip that the women's game globally needs. At least they can say they managed to get a global calendar together, which is more than the men have been able to say. Even COVID has not been able to bang those heads together. Why don't we speak to someone who will have a much more informed uh, viewpoint than, uh, than I? Katie Daly-McLean, the former England captain, is joining with us. Hello, Katie. Hey, Brian, how are you? I'm all right. What do you think of the announcement? I think it's brilliant. I think, you know, it's just going to make life a lot easier having one global calendar and everybody aligned. I think previously, all the, the, probably the unions with the most money were the ones that played the most games. Uh, and I think it's exactly right what we want from World Rugby is to invest in the game as a whole and develop in the standards. So actually, when you come to World Cup years, everybody's on a, le- a level playing field or as much as they can be. How do you think they're going to deal with the disparity still in funding? I mean, it's much better that they've got everyone... You know, eating off the you know reading off the same script, but when the funding yeah. is still going to be disparate, um, I suppose it's chicken and egg. What, how how do they go about trying to even that up? Yeah, I think this is probably the, the way that they think is best. To be honest, it's like you say, there is still a disparity, but I think hopefully by for, by allowing unions to be playing regularly, it encourages unions to invest in their women's program. I think previously unions have got away with not doing that because the girls just weren't played or they weren't played enough. But now these, these competitions, the standards of the competition, hopefully will continue to go on and on. That's going to encourage unions, actually, that the investment in the women game is serious, the, the support and the commercial support from that starts to increase as well. And actually it makes it easier for unions to invest as well. Well, talk about investment, Katie. It's Rob here. How are you going? The hey, Women's hey. Super League, massive, massive news in football that they have now got a situation where 22 of their games are going to be the BBC, 44 with Sky, huge investment. Do you ever look across and think, that's going to be us soon. I really hope so. I think, you know, it's the things that women's football have gone on to do and probably they are, what, seven to ten years ahead of uh, rugby. It's fantastic. Like you see, the amount of coverage that the game's going to be getting, not just only on Sky, but on uh, free-to-air TV as well, is, is phenomenal. And yeah, that's, I think for aspirations as a, a rugby player, as a female rugby player, that's where we hope our game's going to go and, and hopefully sooner. Uh, Katie, the Six Nations gets underway next month. It's not being done as a part of the umbrella um, of the men's Six Nations. Um, what I mean, we, we I've discussed this before. I've made my views clear. Let's have your views on that. Would you like to say, tell you what? Would you what do you think of the change? Um, and would you like to see it being permanent? I uh, see. I think for me, I think yeah. I think I'm born. I think you know. I've I've grown up in and played in the Six Nations where it was like an England Scotland weekend or a, an England France weekend where the women have played, the men's played, in the twenties have played, and you're kind of in that in that umbrella. I think for the the women's game, it's a standalone. It's a real opportunity to kind of go and drive our our own our own message. Start to kind of maybe convert. You're you're just your average rugby fan who just enjoys the game, and maybe actually they spend their Six Nations weekends choosing between what they want to watch. So you hope that actually some of the people who just enjoy the game will, will transfer over to rugby. Um, and I think for me, it's a, it's a great opportunity to see what the, the appetite really is for women's rugby when it's on its own, it's accessible, it's easy to go and, and kind of watch, hopefully. Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's hope we've all got the right expectations 
of it because what we what I, you know what I would hate is it it to, to not be not deliver and then you know set 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 the prejudice people back. I mean, I I am I've made my view so clear on the future of rugby in general uh, being mm. being underpinned by w- women's and girls rugby that I'm not going to repeat that again. Uh, let's just hope that the the shop window when it comes around works as. You said it might do. I hadn't thought about that because, you know, you're right. A lot of unions will be able to say, oh, it's a women's team. So what, they've, they've, they've played so-and-so and lost. Once they start being on global calendars and it's all round and everyone knows, then I think the, the embarrassment factor may, maybe hopefully comes in and says, listen, we, yeah. need to, we need to, you know, however it's done, let's get some money into this. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the hope, isn't it? You know, you, you're now being accountable. It's now not acceptable just to go, oh, well, they can play two games in the build-up to a World Cup in three years' time. Actually, they're going to be playing regularly in these two set in these two windows, where you're saying, "Actually, I want my my girls to go and have an opportunity to really go and put on a show." Yeah, well, uh, everything's up in the air. Um, it, let's hope it can mirror the uh, drama of the men's Six Nations. I'm sure we both agree that uh, if England perform as the England men did, there will be very, very big questions to be asked. But I don't, <laughs> I don't think they will. I don't think they will. Uh, Katie, it's great to great to speak to you, and thanks very much. And you. Thanks, guys. Rob, CVC. We didn't get a chance to discuss this last week, but the venture, some say vulture capitalists, uh, secured a five-year, £365 million deal with Six Nations. They got a seventh share of the company, which means they're not, uh, actually, they're not minority shareholder protected. So the other people could actually, frankly, say, we don't care. Thanks for your money. Now we'll do exactly what we want. They're not going to do that. I know they're not going to do that because they're quite scared of uh, CVC. Um, it's widely assumed the move will see the competition move behind a paywall. Now, let's give there's several parts to this. What is your um, initial response to, to CVC uh, investing and being given a share? First thought, absolute bargain. They've paid £365 million over five years for the entity of the Six Nations value of, of you could say, a seventh, so 14.3%. The BBC and the ITV, their, their combined broadcasting was £90 million annually. So you think about how much money that they're going to make on the back of this deal. What brilliant business from CVC. And they've been clearly playing up to this with their kind of minority shares in both the Prem <coughs> and the Pro 14 and, and, and a bit of interest into, into Sanzar. So I think for, for their part, well played. Someone's going to benefit from this in their pension fund. Yes. Um, uh, funny enough, a friend of mine who started the women's series, um, uh, you, you know, motor series up, said to me, why would you give any of your equity away to a capital company whose interests are almost diametrically opposed to yours? And if not so, they are. Uh, you should at least know what you're getting. If you want their expertise, she said to me, why don't you book them as consultants? Well, yeah, speak to the government about that. I mean, it's quite lucrative. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to pay. So RFU, I've got my maths right here. They're going to pay the RFU £19 million a pound over five years and then are still able to claim a seventh of all of the commercial interest. Bear in mind, and you know it firsthand, yeah. Yeah. what it's like hospitality-wise yeah. at a jam-packed date to 2000. And what's happened is Six Nations have been on their knees quite clearly. The unions have been lobbying and this couldn't have been better timing for an investment company. Yeah. Why they've done it, I don't know. It's exciting on one part because you don't know where it's going to go. But at the same hand, you're thinking that's a significant slice to, to, to lose. Well, let's, uh, let's look at the broadcast rights themselves because uh, venture capitalists um, and CVC in particular, they can only make money one of two ways. They either 
create new competitions that have new rights so that they can exploit those, or they ratchet up the existing rights um, and find a way to make money, money out of them. Now, bundling together the Autumn Internationals and these Six Nations is almost certainly going to happen. That almost certainly precludes ITV and BBC from being able to, to bid for it. The BBC, because although, although you know, it is, the, it is the property, sporting property, which absolutely fits their regional remit, you know, for, for the, three, the three countries in Northern Ireland. There isn't a better one. You, can, you cannot get a better one. Uh, in terms of value for money, it's huge. But I do know, I mean, I, I know Tim Davey fairly well. And, I, and I, I remember mentioning this to him, and his, his response was so lukewarm. And this was before he was made head, DG. I thought, oh, uh, that doesn't sound good to me. Um, so I'm pretty sure the BBC are not going to push the boat out. ITV can only do so much. Um, we all know what happened to cricket between 2005 and 2015. Ten years later, the ECB announced record profits. They announced record investment in the game and a 30% drop in participation. Now, that must have been down to something. I'm willing to suggest some of it, at least, was down to uh, the, if you can't see it, you can't do it. Um, I'm not defending my position with the BBC. That's how it goes. Um, you, you, you're far more likely to get a contract because you're younger, more handsome and more technically adroit than I am these days. Uh, Rob. But what about the pay-for-view angle, participation and the whole mix? It's really interesting when, as you say, it's almost like a podcast in itself, Brian. It's interesting to get your thoughts in particular, having been, you know, doing what you've done so well for so long. I think the one thing that does quite change things a little bit is this current model we've got around the subscriptions and certainly something like an Amazon or a Netflix, whereby that wouldn't necessarily be in complete competition with the BBC. It could almost be alongside it. So something like the, you know, the BBC Wales, the BBC Scotland and the BBC itself to be able to put these as different satellite programs, almost like you match the day. They don't own the rights because Sky and BT have them, but still there feels there's a real presence on the BBC for, for the free-to-air footage. Would that get the same traction? Of course it wouldn't. 7.5 million people watched on Saturday night watching Wales take on France. So we're not going to get those numbers. But at you, the same you'll, time, get, you'll get about a seventh. That's a drop-off. It's about... Yeah, the, you know, the, the highlights programmes at the BBC, the BBC um, highlight programme for the New Zealand-France, New Zealand-England game, which is the biggest game of the autumns a couple of years ago, uh, 1.1 million, um, Sky got 1.2 million. So but that, that, that's quite good. But that, you take that against Six Nations, you know, and it's a, you know, it's a seventh uh, and so on. Um, what is your view? Because some people have been saying to me, young people do not consume media in this way. And I know they don't because, you know, it's, it, they don't watch television unless you force them to or whatever. But they are you're watching different platforms. That, that to me is a slightly different thing, though, because you've got to cater for both for the fan, the casual fan of which, you know, our, our seven point odd million, six point odd are casual fans. So it, does that matter? <laughs> I also get a bit concerned because I cite these numbers. And, and when you think about it, traditionally, I can't think of many people that watch the Six Nations in my kind of world that weren't in a rugby club watching it, where yes. they're not even counted as part of that statistic. Yes. So from the actual point of view of it being a, a paywall, name me a pub that doesn't have Sky or BT or, you know, or an Amazon accessibility. So I think... Oh, there are, a few really that don't have B, there are a few that don't have a BT and there are a few that, that don't have... I mean, you look, the point is you can find one if you want to. Yeah, and that's the point, isn't it? That if we're talking about this as a paywall, 
it depends where you're actually having that interaction, you know, because if it's at home, albeit we're all at home at the moment, so the majority of those millions were accountable, they're actually a bit skewed if you think about the amount of presence in a rugby club per se. Oh, I, mean, yeah, I remember but, I was like, what's at Centre Parks and everyone's watching the Six Nations. Oh, no, but, they, but, no, but, they, but, they, but they, these are adjusted for. They're adjusted for. People say, well, how many people watch Sky in the pub as against in the homes? Well, people watch the BBC in the pub as well. It's just what's on. So they do factor that in. I, I, I just, uh, for me, the consciousness element, you know, and, and the thing for the women, you know, uh, the women in sport has been, if you can't see it, you don't want to be it. You can't be it. Um, I just cannot believe that, that the effect it had on cricket is, it will be unique. And we really do not want drops in numbers. We really, you know, rugby is a minority sport. Uh, the numbers are falling with, with, with males slightly and, and females are making this up. This is not where we, we need to be. And I'd be, you see, a lot of this is, a lot of this goes for whether or not you like it. So much money now goes through the unions to the professional clubs. It's starting, the, 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 the balance is starting to tilt from the amount of money you get from everything. The professional game, although it should, you could say it should run itself like the Premier League do, it, that's not the way it works in rugby. They take a, a, a taking a bigger slice. And what we can't afford in rugby is that balance to tilt away from grassroots, which is where the whole game you know, is developed to start with because the pro clubs don't make their own players. I'd also probably suggest that only the real major sporting events do then get those conversations the week after going, I'm going to go and play because I've just seen this. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say, well, there's some 400 or 1,000 registered rugby players in the UK, yet we're getting 7.2 million viewers of the rugby. There isn't always that correlation there. No. I think what you've got to do is put it into the, the foundations of schools. I think schools is massive. Schools is the most start, important. Then you start, start talking about safety. So that, again, these conversations <laughs> are, are many, many you know and far between but I think yeah from the broadcasting point of view I think there is a balance to be had of free to air and 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 getting the money of the lucrative broadcasting well I think I think most most rugby fans agree certainly most Six Nations fans agree but uh, I you know we we will see we will see uh, about that the problem for for rugby taking a mature medium long term decision is it's being taken in the most atypical of circumstances where where the unions are desperately sort of cash yeah, and, and, and and when you're saying CVC played a blinder, don't think they didn't understand, you know, beginning of, of this a, couple, a year ago when they were mooted to make their investment. Don't think they won't have said, hold on, let's just see where this goes. Don't need to do it yet. Let's see where they are in a year. See how poor they are then. Because they're good at their job. That's what they do. But just remember, everybody, they are there for cash. Cash only. They've got shareholders. And that is it. Okay, now then, before we get to fan questions, Lions selections. Look, I, I've said it's very difficult, you know, form, etc., etc. Why don't we just try and do this? Well, well let's try and get um, five between us or five each or whatever, and, and a captain. Now, uh, if if Alan Wing-Jones is still playing and playing well, I don't see... I think you're going to have a lot of trouble not picking him and picking him as captain. I would absolutely concur with that. And hearing Sean Holly talk about it almost re-emphasises my kind of understanding of his ability to galvanise players and teams. Yeah. Is the experienced head. Everyone knows that this is kind of like his swan song. So you're even more inclined to listen to that as well. And, and funnily enough, and to try. 
and to try harder. I, you know, when I left Nottingham, we had a, we had a final game against Gloucester. Gloucester, they brought the trophy up because Gloucester were in the league. Everyone played like men possessed. And I remember Teague said to me afterwards, "You could have just bloody given it to us." And I said, "Well, you know, my last game, and uh, you know that that that, that was a <laughs> tremendous." Uh, Tremendous. It's gone. It's finally yeah, gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you really, yeah, but um, uh, you know the, that sort of thing can you know can come into it. Yeah, absolutely. Ask CJ Stander. I'm pretty sure he'll oh, yeah. test that. Been a yeah. significant reason. Yeah, good point. The, the way he plays a game. So in, in the second, Alan, Alan in, all right. In the second row, I I think Kitoji is a certainty because I, I think you know it, not least because Yatlin's seen what he did in the last tour. Um, you know, and uh, provided he, he plays this side of the line, I can't think of a. I, I don't think there's anyone to touch him as a partner to 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 Jones. One of the one of the few, well, if, if possibly the only real success of the Six Nations, apart from his penalties. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the way he talks, the way he holds himself, is you know ability to get right under the skin of these other teams, and it's South Africa. Don't forget, you oh, need yes. someone who can ta- who can tackle. <laughs> He's pretty good at that. <laughs> okay. Um, what about what about Dan Bigger's case for being uh, for being selected? I you know it's gone up and up in my estimation. Yeah, I just I'm I'm a fan of what Owen Farrell can bring to a team, certainly against someone like South Africa because of his physicality. You do realise people will be howling when they hear this; they'll be booing you and trying to stick pins in your voodoo doll. Yeah, well, I don't, I've, <laughs> them, to be honest, but I've, I've gone for one per row, and my guy that's going to cement the team and solidify them would be Farrell at ten because I think that's what you need against the South Africa. Uh, who do you play inside in them? That is the big question. It so is. the reason why I've only picked five people is because yeah. if you get those five set, you can then change the team around it. I, yeah. I, at the moment, I think you'd have Henshaw somewhere near him, yep. outside of him. Yep. Inside, good question. I mean, I'd tell you, i throw an absolute bolter in there. Get Danny Kerr back in the mix. Oh, it, absolutely <laughs> carving it at the moment. Well, Stuart yeah, Hogg well, with a 15 in front of William Williams? I don't know about that. Yeah, Interesting, isn't it? I mean, George's author, I think, will go. Whether it'll be a test player, he will definitely, he will definitely go. Uh, I, I, Jonathan Davis, I think, has made a good case to to go. Very, yeah. very solid player. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think he's solid as well. You don't need to be, you know, anything other than solid against the South Africans. It's more that defensive absolute prerequisite, and then a little bit on top of it. Um, will, Johnny, will, will Johnny May go? Falatau will go. Will Johnny May go? Um, I don't know about wingers because I like I, Van der Merwe. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he is, he's an absolute wrecking machine and yeah. give him a bit of edge against the fellow South Africans. Yes. I'd like to see how he's going to go there because yeah. as a specimen, he's not someone that we generally produce in the UK, is he, genetically? No. So I'd be happy for him to have a go. Uh, the back row... questions around Manu, I guess. If Manu's fit, that's a big, big ass to leave him out. Yes, it is, but he's going to have to, you know, well, he's going to have to <laughs> get on he's time. Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, let's have a look. Uh, um, back row, uh, Curry, um, look, these are not starters, definitely, but I think Curry will go. Um, Tipperick deserves to go, certainly. Faletau uh, will be there. Better footballer than Justin Tipperick. Oh, what about yeah. that? What about that little? What about that little grubber kick on the run, going sideways? Oh, just perfectly weighted. I mean, my my inside track on on Tipperick, knowing him how good he is a, as a footballer, he was one of the few people that were shortlisted to go to Rio for the sevens. Is is that good? Yeah. Uh, he got a concussion, which kept him out for a significant amount of time, but he put his hand up for that. And I think he'd have been amazing at it because he is what you call a complete footballer, isn't he? He's yes. one of these people that can... Line out like option he, as well. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I mean, look, uh, leaving you either. Jamie George, you know, he, he, he's played all the, the, the tests last time. He's had a, you know, a torrid time. Luke Cowan Dickey, probably rightly, on form was coming in front of him. Um, there's just uh, part of the difficulty with selecting this, uh, and we'll get off it uh, fairly soon, is Gatland will give credit for players he's worked with, both, you know, for Wales and the previous Lions tour, provided they're still fit, provided they're still on form. So we don't know where he puts players like Jamie George, who he's seen before. He might just say, well, look, Jamie, if you've recovered some form during the season, I know what you can do. You know, that's fine. And a lot of people say he didn't do anything in the Six Nations. He wasn't even picked on the first team. Well, this is why it occurs. This is why it's difficult. Well, Rob, we've, uh, we've got, we, we must run to some questions. Now, funnily enough, some of them say things like this. Should Eddie Jones be sacked? I think, you know, Eddie Jones is wise enough to know that they're not going to sack him and probably some significant financial reasons as well as the fact that you don't generally do that. This, this knee-jerk reaction, I mean, there's going to be some pretty cool, awful, awkward conversations with his hierarchy, but I, I don't see how you could just sack someone like Eddie Jones without a significant plan in place. And well, that's the, the point. That's the point. It's all right saying, sack him. Who, who, who is available and wants the job two years I, out? I'll tell you, one, one interesting story from last month was Stuart Lancaster re-signing at Leinster. Because I always thought, and obviously known pretty well, that was a possibility that he could come back in the mix with the RFU. Um, with a few caveats, I imagine, as to who was still there. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't think that's now an option. Everyone's talking Razor Robertson. Like, Why would you leave Canterbury? They're absolutely amazing. You know, in a time where... He's grooming himself to be the next All Blacks coach. Ian Foster can't be around for too long, just from an age perspective. So I think, yeah, there's a really difficult question there as to who does replace Eddie Jones. And no Premiership coach will touch it at the moment. It's just brutal. Uh, Von Jonathan, football fans just like VAR generally eh? and argue oh. it's, a neg- it's a negative impact on the game. But we find it's a lot more possible at the table. Why is this the case? Is it just the nature of the two sports are very different? No, it's not, Jonathan. It's this. Is that football hasn't used VAR properly. If it used it in a similar way to rugby and uh, cricket, and you had the um, clear exceptions, etc., etc., as we have seen, it would be a lot easier. And this is the real point. You have to show the footage to the fans. They don't show it because they don't trust them not to riot. But I tell you what, that length of time, which when you're seeing nothing, waiting for the real and seeing nothing happen, is boring and you get frustrated. At rugby, when you're watching it again and again and again, you get the discussion points, piece were animated. And at least if you're honest, if something happens that you thought didn't happen, you then, you know, you're a bit quieter. Whereas, you know, that, that's not available to football fans. If they put the footage there, if you had the referee making a, a, a decision or a call to the VAR and then... Only then could it be overturned with clear, uh, you know, uh, well, not unambiguous, but clear, uh, you know, obvious stuff. Then you would have the certainty. And even when rugby's got to this stage, as tricky as look, if it's at this question, I don't agree with that, but I understand why the TMO didn't overturn it. Because if he said, on field decision to try, he's got to find enough reason not to give it. If he can't, that's, that's the way it goes. And people have accepted that now. The reason they don't accept it in the VAR is that it's all over the place. And, and, and by the way, it won't get better until you have your new offside rule, which is a ludicrous rule to me. Um, a couple of things. So I was looking at the go-to um, um, Anfield on December 2019 and saw that live. I mean, the whole goal, non-goal thing. What a bizarre entity. The reason why it works in rugby is because you have amazing referees and officials like Wayne Barnes and Luke Pearce who converse with such clarity. However... 
if there were a crowd in the stuff I'd say at the um, at the weekend just gone, there would have been a riot because that would have been eight minutes of not knowing what the hell was going on. <laughs> so the one fix for that is let the crowd hear the audio. That has to happen. That's one button on the broadcast. Yeah, hear the audio and see the and see the yeah. yeah. And and that for me is mind is you in mind you in is. Paris it's all been English so mind you both of them can speak French don't they so. I mean that. Yeah, at least they're hearing it. At least that's the thing, isn't it? That yeah. you get in that conversation and know yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, and, and actually, yeah. and actually, Jonathan, this is the point. You have to have the VAR people and the referee talking to each other, and like in rugby league, where he says, "Right, you've asked me this, therefore I'm looking for this. This is the law or the rule. Therefore, I see this. The law is that, and that's my, you know, or that's what I'm telling you, or whatever. If you if you can hear the thought process and it's clear." You know they've considered the right things and whatever. Even if you don't agree, because not, not everyone everyone won't agree. Some people are biased. Some people will never agree if it's against their team. But at least it's consistent. The problem is at the moment with VAR, you've no idea what they've said, what they've done, what angles they've seen. They just say, oh, that. Yeah. And one thing I would add in, as well as the audio in stadium, captain's challenge. I think that then gives that degree of accountability. Would you have, would you have one and you lose it if it's gone or would you yeah. would carry on if yeah. it's... If, and you, like you in cricket, if you, if, you, if you get it right, you, you retain one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, fair enough. Paul, are there too many penalties now uh, being given? The Six Nations feels like a couple of phases of, after the game that stops for a penalty. Well, I, I've had this discussion with someone who said, whistle-happy referees. I said, listen, the, the referee, if he's good, or, and most of them are competent, uh, at least, you know, if not better, a lot of them, um, is dictated by what players do. If players go offside and they commit offences and keep dropping the ball or knocking it on, what are you? What is the ref supposed to do but but, but blow his whistle? You know, I, most referees don't want to. And this stuff about he wants to be centre attention, there might be a few of those. But it, more often than not, if you look at the game, the way it's being played and then, and then the error rate is reflective of the amount of times you hear the whistle. I think there's a couple of things here, conversationally, which would be quite interesting to get your thoughts on. The spectrum of discretion in rugby is so vast. Like yes. you can be accidentally offside and it'd be a penalty. You yeah. could punch someone in the face and it'd be a penalty. That for me is something we could look at in yeah. terms of making things short arm, your free kick penalties. You're going to get a sped up game. You're going to get more time ball in play. You're going to get less of the, um, you know, thought process around it. Yeah. I think that would be a great thing to look at. What are we actually saying is worthy of a penalty as a significant three-point advantage, and what could be just a quick right? Get on with it. Yeah, with, with, with the with the, and this is always the thing with with downgrading or or upgrading things from one to the other. The law of unintended consequences. What you you know, if you downgrade something to a free kick, do you get a lot more of it? Well, you could say, well, if we get a lot more of it, they can be dealt with by successive things being turned into penalties and yellow cards. And by the way, if we get even if you got a lot more of it, at least it'd be a lot more quick things, wouldn't it? Rather than you know one slow thing, you know the, the stuff. You know the stats that came out about Owen Farrell. You know he his kicks at goal, all of them. You know are taking longer than the mandatory time. That's not just him, but these these things. You know when when England needed it, Elliot Daly dropped goal, bang. What did you do in seven? Do you know? Do you know England's time in play against Ireland? You see what it was? Thirteen no. minutes. Well, yeah. Of possession. That is ludicrous. An 80-minute game. But I mean, what, league, I know what, we're big fans of it, but 78 minutes, ball in play. But what are you supposed to do with 13 minutes unless you unless you manufacture... Well, that, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, that's all we've got time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Content. I tell you, with two or, two or three bits there, as Rob said, they could have been podcasts on their own. Maybe we'll do them. A huge thank you to Rob Vickerman, as always, uh, to Sean Holly and to Katie Daly-McLean for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe? Check out some of our previous episodes or you can always get in touch 
full contact at thetelegraph.co.uk. And if you need even more incentive, for the next couple of weeks, you can enter a prize draw to win one of three £100 John Lewis gift vouchers. Just fill in our short survey. Look, it'll take no more than a couple of minutes. Um, it'll ask you what you enjoy about the podcast, what you don't enjoy, what you'd like to hear more of, etc. You can answer anything apart from we don't want Brian Moore on it, obviously. Uh, thank you for all your support throughout the Six Nations. We'll be taking a short break before the Lions series this summer. But until then, thank you. Goodbye. Good night. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.